Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, to the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, Jenny, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. Jenny Schweiger, can you hear the birds from the cattle barn at the Iowa State Fairgrounds? I cannot, actually. Megan, can you hear the birds? I cannot either. I wonder if I have something mentally going on where I'm hearing things in my head. Coming to you from the Iowa State Fairgrounds. The Pig Show. I'm calling it the Youth Development Event of 2020 and every Thursday. Jenny Swaggart, like clockwork, she's here with another, yet another fantastic friend. Who'd you bring along today? So today I have Megan Bryant, and Megan and I met through a uh, organization that we are starting, and it will help create rural economic development. Welcome, Megan. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> so what are you doing for economic? Who thinks that there doesn't need to be any economic development in 2020? What are you two thinking? We're trying to kill the economy. <laughs> well, we we are not, actually. We aren't, as, as our collective group. Um, we are trying to revitalize the rural areas and... We've kind of started in the state of Illinois, mm-hmm. actually not too far from your hometown in Greene County is where the organization is based out of. And our goal, um, I mean, there's several goals, and one of those goals is very tied to Megan, and that is helping veterans find job placement and seeing how the skills in agriculture really do fit well with those who are veterans, that works out really well for us. So we are trying to help those who are veterans find work in the agriculture community in addition to others and helping moms who maybe are feeling food insecure due to COVID right now. So we're giving them some tips and trying to get them a little bit closer to how their food gets on their plates. Uh, right off, Megan, kudos to you. I, I often have thought myself, why don't we do a better job reaching out to veterans who w- would just be tremendous farmhands and just fit into the system really well? And we know that there are many that, that struggle in finding employment. It just seems like a perfect fit. What got you headed down that path? Uh, so I actually uh, worked with, outside of this organization, um, the other founder of the organization was Nyman, and she was telling me all about it at work one day, and mm-hmm. I thought it sounded great. Um, I have a personal connection. I'm from a military family, um, so and I've also worked for other military nonprofits, so that's a, something that's always been close to my heart, and uh, I also just love agriculture, so... The combination of the two sounded like something I definitely wanted to be involved in. And, um, and that's many, where I met Jenny. And how many years have you been doing that? Which we part? The, 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 we'll focus on the veteran part first. Uh, the organization Jenny and I work with? Yes. 
Farm Front is I, the name of the organization. Yeah. And, and Farm Front's been around for about a year now. Cool. And still in the puppy stage. Yeah, how how where are you at and and how has the first year been? Jenny, you want to start um, with that or do you want me to start? Yeah, sure. I can, yeah. Um so we have really just kind of spent the last, I don't know, four or five months trying to realign all of the goals and then decide how we're going to put content out and that how are we going to connect all of these people because it's a pretty diverse community that we're creating and COVID came along and really kind of changed the whole outlook because of the whole food insecurity and then the tremendous job loss. I think we're at like 45 million jobs that have been lost um, and a huge employment, unemployment rate. So um, I would say a lot of everything that had already been put in line kind of got maybe railroaded onto a different path, but mm-hmm. in a good way. Just in the last, I agree with that. Five months. Yeah. So we have a new podcast called Farmfront on Air, and we also are putting out blog posts every Saturday morning. And they can range from, you know, tips about gardening. We have a board member who is doing kind of an experimental garden. It's mm-hmm. so she's sharing her journey along the way. And then um, she has, in, for this week in particular, she is interviewing a friend who is a veteran and also starting his own chicken poultry business farm. So, and uh, uh, one of my favorite ones also was how to find local uh, produce and meat for those people that are concerned with the grocery stores not having certain things they want sure. and not knowing where to get it from. Right. Right. That was a a really great post and great topic because it, it's been a huge response. In our area, at least, people are reaching out and wanting to know how they can get food from a different way because the grocery stores are limited on a lot of the products that they have. And and just so that everybody's listening and following along, uh, they're really two separate things. It's not exclusive to veterans. It's for any mother, family, anybody looking for local food supplies. Correct. And within that, another goal is there are a lot of farmers who are at that point where either, you know, they're maybe a younger generation and numbers just aren't meeting up. Mm-hmm. And they're at a point where they're trying to decide, should we go on? How is this affecting the family? Am I going to be ruining the family legacy? You know, there's so many thoughts and things that go into that. And so we are creating a support system for people like that um, by interviewing not only folks who have decided to say, okay, enough is enough, but also folks who thought they were stopping and then they have revitalized using innovative ideas 
and they're back farming again. Um, so that's a really, really valuable piece for agriculture because there's not really anyone else out there providing information and support like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've got a, a gentleman in uh, Saskatchewan who has contacted me last week and this week, to be honest. I've just kind of been uh, harem scarum because I've been in Des Moines and we'll be here through Saturday at this youth development event. But Lyndon in, in Saskatchewan has put together a website which kind of does what you're talking about from a meat standpoint. And he's got a database of where you can buy local meat no matter where you're at in the United States or Canada. And I think he's still building that, and we're obviously I don't know enough about it because we haven't been able to get together yet. My point is that certainly people are trying to find a way to make all of this information. Because let's face it, even in, in 2020, in the era of instant communication and social media, people could be two miles away from each other. One has something the other one wants, and they don't even know it. And that was one of the reasons that we created um, another friend and I created Shop Illinois Farm, which we're supporting through Farmfront as well. And we have had people who have contacted us who were like, I can't believe I can get all of this stuff within 10 miles of where I live. I had no idea that so-and-so grew beef for person has milk. So we've had several stories like that. And it's really neat to see that connection. I've worked like the last 10 years trying to make those connections happen. And I think that through COVID, one of the positive things is going to be people will at least, and I know we disagree a little bit on this, but at least for right now, people are appreciating where their food is coming from. Whether that'll last long-term, I'm not sure. Right. Megan Bryant, Jenny Swagger, my guest. Oh, yeah. We are connect, continuing to connect the farm to the fork. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more Rural Route. I am in Des Moines. Hey, before I let you go, I need to remind you about Neogen, the opportunity to tap into the genetics. Use the genetics that have the alleles present to pass them on to the offspring. Or... Just find out where your pet came from. My goodness, people do that? They get their DNA test on pets? They do, and it's not because they think they might be tastier. It's simply because they want to know what breed makeup they are. Get more details about all of that craziness and the food safety side of it at neogen.com. We'll be back with more Roll Route after this. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Loose. Moving into the second segment because it was getting really critical of Trent's mental capacity during the break. There are, I'm pretty happy with the sounds and the people that are in my head, Jenny. You don't need to be critical of however many people there are, or birds, or whatever. Uh, well, you know, it, it dawns on me, Jenny, that I might have screwed up this week. I I really like Megan, and I think I'm going to get to like her more. But we could have saved Megan for next Thursday because you know who's here with me at this event? Who? Not literally with me, but I saw him yesterday. We, he could be here talking about what we're talking about here from a supply standpoint. Pig farmer south of you. Thomas well, Titus. Lots of them. Oh, Thomas. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that would be a great discussion as well. All yeah. right, see you, Megan. I, Good knowing you. We're going to go get Thomas. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> my, one of, one of no, my no, don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite aspects to Megan is because she has had limited agriculture background. As we are writing blog posts and things, we're writing from different viewpoints two different audiences. And so there will be different terms that will come up. Um, and one of those terms that has come up in our discussions is industrialized farming, mm-hmm. which was not something I was familiar with. Um, so I guess a question, Megan, for you is, is that kind of the, I don't know, the go-to term for large farming? Or what does that mean to you? So when I think of industrial farming, I would definitely think of large farming. Um, To me, that kind of sounds like factory farming. And I don't know if that's the correct comparison. Um, But that's what I think of when I hear industrialized farming. It it is. Those are the slang terms that they've tried to well they have successfully in many cases put against us in the past 20 years you're spot on Megan. and in one of the examples as we were having this discussion um actually we have a neighbor who is a large turkey farmer and so i had taken video and photos previous to our conversation and so i said you know take a look at these videos and these pictures and tell me how many people do you think are involved with getting these turkeys grown and then on a truck and then to a processing plant. And I think everyone was surprised that it's two brothers mm-hmm. that are running it all. And is that would that be right, Megan? Yeah, I was definitely surprised. There was a lot of chicken movement in that video. And I, I For so do you think that that's industrialized? You know, that video definitely challenged that a little bit. <laughs> um, just to realize the amount of people, you know, that could get so much stuff done with technology on a farm. So that yeah. was definitely made me rethink that industrialized definition. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Okay, I'm going to bust the myth of industrialized agriculture in a moment, I hope. But before I do that, let me be play devil's advocate. Why is industrial agriculture wrong, Megan? I don't think it is wrong. But yet, there's an attempt to make that a negative slang term. Or is there? And then, is that what See, agriculture perceives? Correct, that's the question. I think factory farming is an attempt to I mean I know they're you know I think of them the same but you know most people I know just think of it as factory farming and that does have a negative connotation to it mm-hmm. that I'm aware of and that's the that animals aren't treated correctly in those types of farms it's just large number of animals being processed through and aren't being cared for the way they should. 
did the video that I shared, did that help change that perspective? Um, I don't necessarily think so, because if I remember correctly, it was chickens on a automated machine moving them into a truck, right? Turkey, yes. And then there were Turkey, two... sorry. No, it's okay. There's <laughs> been, there were two gentlemen that were there that were making sure that the turkey gets safely placed in the truck without harm and as stress-free as possible. But you see, I think one of the things that. that that is, I didn't see the stress-free part. I just see a bunch of turkeys being shoved onto a truck. <laughs> so how can we, how can we better communicate the fact that it's very important that animals are stress-free because at a higher stress level, they have more adrenaline. Um, going and it affects the quality of the product, the final meat product. And the amount the farmer's going to get paid. True, true. So, like, both of those things I didn't know until right now. So I don't know that the industrial farms care about the stress levels of their animals because it affects the meat. Mm -hmm. So that would be something I feel like could be shared to be like, no, we, this, not only do we care about the animals, but it also affects our end product and how much money we make. So there's three reasons right there to pay extra attention to their comfort. We did find when we were going through one of the discussions and blog posts, Trent, we found a sign at a grocery store that said barn raised. Do you think that that is going to be a positive term when you're purchasing food? I'm taking it. That's a Megan I, question. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> Megan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. I was thinking about that one for a second. Um, I personally try not to get too caught up in the labels, um, especially now that we, <laughs> as Farmfront, have done a few articles on labels and what they actually mean. Yeah, Um, because I know a lot of things are just on there to, you know, for marketing purposes to make more, make them cost more money. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that might be something that some people might look at. I mean, I know I've definitely seen things about, you know, people want ethically raised animals. And if that's what barn raised means to them then I think that's something they would pay attention to. See, Jenny, this is where it's really frustrating for me, and I'm not frustrated with Megan. I'm frustrated with myself and what we've done because, you know, this is what I've been doing for 20 years is trying to explain to the consumers that know nothing about food production that everything that we already described is happening in, in that we put up, intensified barns, CAFOs, I I embrace the term CAFOs, concentrated animal feeding operations, because it allows us to minimize the stress and keep those animals at an ideal stress level at all times. Because anytime an animal is stressed, 
If it's in the growing phase, you increase the risk of disease. People understand that now better with COVID, I think, than they did before. But it's the same thing with an animal. And if we don't have that animal to minimize stress at all times, they are at a higher level of risk. And if they get sick, if we are forced to use an antibiotic, if, if they have a, some sort of a, a structure crippling uh, issue, they break a leg or they just get a, a sore foot, whatever the case may be, whatever species we're talking about, it is not going to be beneficial for anybody in the system, the farmer, the consumer, or the animal. And we all know these things that take care of animals, and yet we just haven't found the way to communicate that story that we've already done in the last six minutes with Megan, who really wants to know. And so my frustration is that we just have to find the way to maybe the video that you shared is a, is a good step, but there's just got to be more. And, you know, I could share that, but my hesitation would be what will people who have other intentions do with that video? Mm-hmm. And See, that, you just nailed it. You just nailed why term. we have this perception, because people are afraid to share what really happens that somebody will hijack it. Exactly. We have to go to exactly. a break. I'm hijacking your conversation, by the way, just so you know your your fears are coming true because I have to take a break. And I have to remind you about Lone Creek Cattle Company, the opportunity to be a part of a branded beef program. Get more details. About, they're building a new grass-fed plant. Now, I would not have suggested this, but you know what? I'm not in charge of the marketing. They're going to build a new grass-fed plant. We need more cattlemen to be a part of the system. You want to get paid properly for the tender beef that you produce? Piedmontese breed of cattle possess the myostatin gene. That's the genomic that's responsible for tenderness and a uniform eating experience by the consumer. Details about your involvement at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. More Megan Bryant, Jenny Swaggart after this. It's on a roll route, by the way. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside on a Thursday, Jenny Schweigert, as she is every Thursday. And suddenly now I'm nervous because she launched no little torpedoes my way during the break. She actually went silent. I don't know what happened to her. Are you clipping dairy cattle or what? You weren't paying attention? Or? No, no. Actually, I'm, I'm <laughs> sitting in the air conditioning while my poor 14-year-old is outside doing it on his own right now. Oh, so <laughs> suddenly you want this to be a three-hour radio show. I see how you work. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that would be convenient, yes. Yeah. Uh, but, Megan, yeah. W- one other addition that I want to put on the whole concept of industrialized agriculture, because I think people try to cower from that. I've, I've done the math significantly. Just so that you know, I'm sixth generation from the land. We've been taking care of land and livestock in the Luce family since 1832, that was all in Adams County, Illinois. I left Illinois in 1988. I saw the writing on the wall that the governors go he to prison. One of the so smart ones. I wanted to get out. So now <laughs> my wife and I have 100 sows, 100 cows, and 25 horses in central Nebraska. And so in my lifetime, though, I, I've cared for 1 million animals. That I'm 53 years old, and that's just the experience that I've had. And we've done such a horrible job explaining what we're talking about here today. But the other part of that that I wanted to share is that people often say, well, there's been such an exodus of farmers. There has been. I'm not telling you that's a good thing. 
but I'm going to say maybe it's not a bad thing from an animal care standpoint, because I think a lot of people have that notion that from an animal care in that industrial agriculture, the animal suffers. The animal is the one who benefits. I've had animals in every environment you can imagine. And when they're in a modern CAFO, they're in the best condition they can possibly be in. But the other part of the question that gets left out of the equation, this is the number one challenge for most farmers today, by the way, is labor. But when you look at the number of people that take care of those turkeys that Jenny was talking about, on a per-animal basis, I'll use dairy cows because Jenny's such a dairy enthusiast. For the most part, throughout the course of history, if there were 100 cows, I'll put this in the form of a question, Jenny. If there's 100 cows, family operation, that's going to be a father-son, correct? Usually, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've probably got some other family members who are helping out And if you capacity. And if you go to the largest farms in Illinois or go up to Wisconsin, some of the largest dairy farms, the ratio of employee to cow is still about 50 to 75 cows per person. So even though we've taken a farm that has 100 cows and we now have a farm with 2,500 cows, on a per ratio basis of cows milked, it's about the same. It's just that it's an employee instead of someone who owns the cows. And when mm-hmm. I break and that I- all down and look at that, people are like, I had no idea. It, so the care and the amount of people per cow really isn't any different. And, I mean, an example would be my 17-year-old son has, you know, gone and helped on two different family farms. And, you know, it's, it's doing stuff like milking because milking is very intensive. You know, two times a day you have to milk the cattle. Some people might disagree with that, but you, you, they can't milk themselves. They want to be milked. But that is a large commitment to put on a family. It has been very, very, very rare for my father-in-law to leave with my mother-in-law and go anywhere and allow somebody else to milk. I mean, it's very selective within our family who can. And an outsider coming in, I don't know if that's even ever happened. And we stopped shipping milk back in 2013. We do have milk through, or we do have cows um, throughout summers. But um, even even with two cows or three cows, he he wants you know people who are very familiar with the animals and if they're going to deliver the care that he expects. So, um, but my son, you know, he's actually helping two farms. Um, right now this week for the Illinois Holstein show and um, he's helped on two other farms also Um, so that's just an example and those are family farms I think that's the perception people have of family farms is like that the care of like they don't even want someone else to milk their cows because they want to do it themselves Whereas I think when you think of factory farms, it's just this big, or you know, not corporation, but almost like a corporation where it's just people hired to, oh, go milk these cows, and it doesn't have the same level of care and connection that a family farm would have. 
I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you that a hired employee would ever have the same level of passion about the care of the animal that it that someone who owns it. That's just not human nature. But I will tell you that it's about the culture that is put forth in those environments that hire people. You have good cultures and you have bad cultures, just like any business in America. It's all about the culture that is provided. So an example with my son is those two farms hired my son because they know who their grandpa, his grandpa is and his grandpa's commitment to caring for the animals. And so they are creating a positive culture by making sure that they have people who have their same ideals and morals and expectations in line. But how do we get people to understand that, Megan, is my question for you. Because that, I mean, that's the million-dollar question. That's a tough one. <laughs> I think um, it's a huge question. You know, you know, I was thinking about this, too, after, you know, we talked about that video and kind of how I saw the video versus what was actually happening. Um, and I think a, a big problem was, like, you know, factory farming is always targeted with videos of animals being treated poorly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm wondering if some of that is not actually, it's just that people think the animals are being treated in a way they shouldn't be versus they don't actually know what's going on or what the process is. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in there because I happen okay. to be in the state of Iowa, and this was several years ago now, over 10 there was a video that surfaced that was coined as one of these very first undercover videos inside an Iowa pig farm that I won't name. And as a result of the video, I watched the video, and Megan, to your point, there's not any single thing. There was one questionable thing that maybe I wouldn't do at my place, and that is that they're in a farrowing crate. There's two people on each side of the farrowing crate. Somebody picks up the pig and gently tossed it to the other person. That's questionable. Every other single aspect of that video was normal, everyday, standard operating procedure at my farm, any farm, USA. And yet, as a result of what people saw, there were retailers that that said they are going to stop using pork from this pig farm because of the video. And there was nothing in the video that doesn't happen every single day when there are animals on, on a farm. But so it's to your point yeah, exactly. I yeah, I think that's where the educational opportunity comes in. People don't know what the process, what farm processes are, and why they're not actually bad for the animals. It's like when I see a truck going down the highway with a bunch of chickens in crates that are blowing in the wind. To me, that looks like something that chicken did not want to be doing. That looks like a very stressful and happy situation for all those chickens on that truck. But that's normal practice. If those chickens don't actually mind that, I just need to know that the chickens don't actually mind that. <laughs> I mean, do uh, you mind your motorcycle? <laughs> no, I don't. Right. So, But I don't think of it. I just think of this chicken in a crate on a truck, and I'm like, oh, that doesn't look fun. I bet that chicken's stressed. It doesn't know what's going down the highway. <laughs> but no, that's a really good that... point, Jenny. <laughs> Do you think, you know, that um, maybe 
movies or books or things that you have heard from other sources outside of a farmer has helped develop that thought process? Probably, yes. Um, so and I know I also would... just me being... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, also me being... Uh, not that farmers aren't huge animal lovers, but me being an animal lover that doesn't know about farm processes, I just automatically feel empathetic towards the animals. So uh, if I see something fair. that looks Ma- questionable to me... Megan... I just have to point out the obvious. That chicken is is going down the road. You seem to have a level of sympathy about. Okay, let me know before I make that statement. You eat chicken. I do. That chicken going down the road. You're concerned about how it might uh, enjoy or dislike that ride on the road on the road. But it's going to a harvest facility and it's going to be killed. Right. The road simp you generate sympathy for, not the process itself. Oh, I mean, I think about all of it. Yes, I was just using that as an example. Of, right. I mean, I, I definitely want it to be, you know, harvested in a proper way, where it's not just, you know, painfully murdered. <laughs> well, so, so do we. Because if right. it's painful in any way, shape, or form, there will be things like blood splotches or that chicken will probably be removed from the system. And, again, somebody's not going to get paid. So that's the reason. And you've got food waste. Right. And, and we've had audit after audit that indicates that 99.999999% of the time, the animal is rendered unconscious immediately. And that is exactly what we need to be... As you, as we started this conversation out, being respectful to the animal and understanding they're giving their life for us to be a part of the system. Everything lives, everything dies, and death with a purpose gives full meaning to life. And it's our job to keep that cycle going properly. Oh, my goodness. I also have another job, Jenny Swaggart, and it's that time each week where I get disappointed with the answer that you give me. Have you watched oh The Stand at Paxton County on Netflix? I wanted to, I was going to sneak that in there. <laughs> so my next question was going to be, I don't know how much time we have left. Ten seconds. But no, we are in the commercial. <laughs> we'll come back, watch the stand at Paxton County on Netflix. It prompts another thought where we started talking about veterans that I will share when I come back. But I just want to tell you this was inspired by a true story. And it shows how animal rights activists use law enforcement to take animals away from people who have done nothing wrong. It's all about sympathy. The Stand at Paxton County on Netflix. We'll be back with the final segment of Roll Route after this. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside Jenny Swigert in Illinois. Oh, what? Do you want to claim Missouri or do you, are you in Illinois as well, Megan? You could just be like over at uh, East Alton. I am in Missouri. I am in St. Louis City. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to be on the boat at Alton or anything? No, I'll stick with Missouri. Um, So I've been hanging with, I'll just tell you quickly so nobody hears me, uh, about 3,000 people at the Iowa State Fairgrounds this week, and suddenly I'm 
feeling like I have a fever. I don't know what's wrong if I... Oh, wait, it was Jenny Swigert starting to say something kind about me during the break. That was leading to a fever. What Were you about to say I did okay as an actor? You did. I, I was very surprised. And surprised? Megan, come on. Wondering Stick up for me know. here. <laughs> so, The Stand at Paxson County, Megan, is a movie that is available on Netflix that I would highly, highly recommend. And without giving too much information, a lot of what we just talked to talked about in the last two segments plays out in this movie, which is based on a true story. Um, and, and Trent um, gets to play... I, I wouldn't say... I think he's a good guy, but because of pressures that are inadvertently caused by an animal rights activist group, he is then kind of turned into an adversary of the family um, that's at the center of the story. Um, I would like to see, and I'd like to know if you've heard that, if you've heard anything about that movie. I have not until right now. Have you heard of Food, Inc.? Yes. So, which is full of misinformation. How can we move the stand at Paxton County up above the misinformation? It's a true story. How can we get that up above Food, Inc. as a mainstream story for non-farmers and ranchers to hear and watch? Uh, before you answer that, Megan, to be fair, Food Inc. has been out 10 years. The stand at Paxton County has been out 10 weeks. True. But we, uh, we have to make the progress. Answer to that is, the answer to that is always good marketing. <laughs> um, getting people to share on social. I know when Food Inc. was big, I always saw people talking about it and how much you needed to watch it and... It, there was so much word of mouth, I feel like, around Food Inc. that spread it around. Um, and, so, and I think that's a big words thing. Of fear? They very well could be, yes. <laughs> uh, Jenny, you, you know this is to be true as well as I do. When Food Inc. came out, all of us in agriculture, what did we start doing? We started marketing it. We marketed it because... We would share on all of our social media, look what these people said about us. Meanwhile, we're giving it more notoriety and attention. But because something like the stand at Paxton County is inspired by a true story, and it happens every single day somewhere in the United States, I'll just focus on the United States, we watch it and we say, yeah, that's that's a good movie. That's what happens. But we don't have the same sharing and emotion into it when we have somebody who's targeting us. We're our own worst enemy in that regard. And we have right, and when you see and someone think, Go ahead. I was gonna say when you see someone talking about like, Oh, look how horrible this movie is, it has all this misinformation, I can't believe it then you kinda wanna watch it and see what they said. So if we were to talk about the movie and what animal rights activists do 
is that going to draw attention from those folks? And are they going to do the same as what we did, we being the agriculture community, did for Food Inc.? Maybe. I mean, I think there would be, I'm sure there would probably be pushback from the animal rights groups or people if they heard you talking about, you know, disproving their tactics. And hopefully that would help gather attention. Right. I'm not sure that it... It, that it would because those groups are so strategic and they know how to push the buttons and what push buttons not to push. Trent, you want to weigh in on that? No, you're you're stra- uh, spot on, and that it's also quite frankly why you you both intrigued me with the veteran aspect. This has been the latest tactic by the animal rights groups. I personally have met or talked to six uh, retired either veterans or veterans of law enforcement who get recruited to come into the animal rights camps. I'll give you a perfect example. The one that is most vocal is John Bolin. John Bolin was uh, 20 20 years as a U.S. Marshal in law enforcement, and he went to work for one of the wealthiest animal rights organizations investigating animal crimes. And he, after three years, he saw the light and he saw that he was perpetuating fraud upon these animal owners and got out. And now is what the current coin term is as a whistleblower. I met another individual from Louisville that re- he got out of the army. His girlfriend at the time, who now is his wife, loved animals. He got intrigued in what she was loving in animals. He started working as an investigator, as a retired veteran from the U.S. Army, investigating animal crimes. He saw the light, and he started becoming a whistleblower. So my point in that is that I just I hope that all farmers paying attention are listening to your concept about hiring veterans, because certainly the animal rights community has figured out, because here's the other part of it. They use them to get them in farms because the, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but their big MO today is is to infiltrate farms by getting somebody hired. And they get no farmer will say no to a veteran of the U.S. military who shows up wanting a job. And now that the animal rights activists have figured this out, animal rights organizations have figured this out, they are actively recruiting that demographic to come and be a part of the animal rights community because they know they can get hired at any farm they walk into. So why are we relying on them? Why aren't we beating them to the punch? That's why I got so intrigued with where we started. And I I think that that is a valid point um, as someone who has been a cheerleader for agriculture I mean, I saw that, and that's something, you know, that I want to do. Um, Christian Hebert, he was um, Farm Journal's Farmer of the Year last year. He is from uh, Canada, and he has started an effort called WorkCourseHub.com where you can meet um, farmers who need help, and he has a really big in making sure veterans are being matched there um, and also sees what is happening between the, the um, I guess, within the marketing and the targeting of veterans by animal rights activists. But would, would the average person 
even think that a group would do that? I don't, I don't know, Megan. What do you, I mean, have you heard anything like that before? I had not heard of that until Trent just talked about it. Um, but I find that really interesting and it also makes it a little, I mean, farmers should beat the activist groups to the punch on getting the veteran. But does that also make it more risky because how do you know if that veteran's already been approached by an activist group or is, you know, going to be used against you when you're hiring them? Well, and that, I guess, goes there, down there, to training. Yeah, there's some things that just can't be avoided. But um, what it really takes in my mind is more support for the individuals that have come for- forward you know, like John Bolin, what he wants to do is take all of his knowledge and training and go uh, work with the sheriff's departments and um, making them aware of what's taking place. Because the other thing that the, all of these groups do is they target, target local authorities, and this is the concept of the stand at Paxton County, to work in conjunction with the local sheriff because what happens is when there's a a alleged animal abuse on some horses or or whatever animal you choose the county takes those into possession and they have to foot the bill so what the animal rights group does is they come in they have somebody allegedly make a complaint about animal abuse the sheriff says well the county can't afford to house these 40 horses and the animal rights group says okay we'll take them off your hands and there begins the spiral of the lack of justice for animal owners, and that's how it works. Uh, Megan, we're in the last two minutes. I want to make sure you get every opportunity to share your thoughts and, and give us some uh, wisdom to go forward and being better at communicating all of these virtues. Oh, it's a big ask for wisdom. Um, I, I really think, you know, a lot of the misconceptions about farming really just comes from education or lack of education about farms and the more that we can share that information the less people will be against certain things um i think just a personal note about like i didn't bring up the harvesting of the animals because i actually Mm -hmm. had a friend who went and worked at a uh oh and i'm blanking on the word where they kill cows um, <laughs> a packing plant? And, yes. And he explained to me all the rules and regulations and all the things that they had for doing this. And ever since then, I felt better about eating my beef because I know that that cow at least was killed properly or humanely. And that did a lot just for my own thoughts on the process. So I think really education and just sharing how all these things work is the most important thing. Jenny, you did a fabulous job bringing a guest because she just told us to get over our... We've been afraid to show that part of the system because we don't think people understand the death aspect. They just want comfort in knowing that it's done right. Megan, that's that's huge. That was the biggest closing profound statement we've had, I think. Thank you. comes down to, you know, the entire purpose of our Thursday show is to bring these stories and the thoughts 
of those folks who are outside of agriculture. And I truly believe that we need to focus more on learning about their stories than we do sharing our own stories. Doesn't get any better than that. We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. As always, Jenny Swaggart hits a home run, bringing Megan, Brian, and all three of us remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route somewhere outside of St. Louis proper.